0: Today, I want to give um, very kind of practical encouragement about being on mission uh, for Christ. Uh, I want us to leave with an understanding that we're on mission everywhere we go. And we should seize every opportunity we have to share Jesus with our coworkers, our friends, and our family. And I want to start by offering us a snapshot of three different organizations. Okay the first organization is one that feeds the hungry in an amazing way. This organization started in the 50s with one simple humble location in California. Its mission feed as many people as possible as quickly as possible. From these humble beginnings the organization has completely exploded. There are 33,000 plus posts across the globe, and they're growing by the week. This company appears t- to care so much because not only do they have posts that are almost identical and they resemble each other, but have the ability for people to access their food other than by walking in to the to the actual store. They can access it by car, they can truck, even they have posts where you can get to it by snowmobile. They have access uh, in some locations for tractors and motorcycles and in some case by boat. Okay? To this day they're recognized as one of the most family-friendly organizations on earth. They are the second largest employer in America with 300,000 employees, second only to Walmart. Next to feeding you, their secondary aim is to make you happy. It seems like they are accomplishing their task of feeding as many people as quickly as possible. Who is this amazing organization, you may ask? Anyone? McDonald's, that's exactly right. They're willing to go to any place and go to any length to make a buck and give you a burger. That's the first organization. The second one is, the second, uh, is a fantastic organization. They give drink to the thirsty. Very simple motto. They single-handedly change how we drink, and it's classic. At one point, the organization heard there were hungry, or thirsty people in this remote village in South America that did not speak a word of English. Drinks were flown into these countries, this country packed into trucks. On their way home, they came to a river that was located in the middle of a jungle in which they found themselves. Knowing they couldn't drive a truck through the river, they used a small paddle boat loaded with life-saving drink. In these boats, the process took hours. After they and their product were safely across, they were met by a mule-drawn carriage and transported the drink up a mountain, a journey which, again, took hours before it finally found its resting sm- spot in the small village. The gentlemen paid the, deliver- the deliverers for their service And they were on their way. When people heard the drink had arrived, they yelled and they screamed and they sang and they threw a massive party in the village and thanked their gods for the men who carried the drink up the side of the mountain. Who's this great humanitarian company who would do such a wonderful thing? Coca-Cola. That's exactly right. The Coca-Cola company will travel thousands of miles Transverse cultural boundaries and barriers, language barriers, cross rivers, risk danger in the jungle so that all would know the glorious name of Coca-Cola. Now the last organization is global, just like the first two. It's much older than the previous two. They've been noted in the past for great humanitarian work, educational achievements, made advancements in medicine, art, literature, music, and for the elimination of poverty. The claims of this organization is not simply for the advancement of those things alone, but for a person to be made brand new. They have their mission statement as being, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This organization believes a person is separated from God who loves them immeasurably, who wants to give them everything he has to offer them if if they would only trust him with their lives. This uh, organization boasts currently over one billion employees. Who is this? It's obviously the church, right? With these amazing statistics, three different organizations, It would seem clear that the church is a strong agent of change, even more so than McDonald's or Coca-Cola, by the value that it professes to offer. That with one billion professing followers currently alive today, surely, surely they have accomplished their goal and surely they've have such a loud voice in the culture that they would be willing to go anywhere anytime for this cause no doubt the value that we offer is amazing it's unparalleled and unrivaled period however sadly this organization the church has run into a snag okay that we struggle with in reaching those closest to us our neighbors our friends our coworkers Coca-Cola goes on mission to reach anyone with the glorious message of Coca-Cola. We also, even in a greater way, go on mission across the globe. But the question is not whether we go on mission. That's very clear. We, we, we go on missions. We give to missions. We're very good at that. The question is, are we reaching those right next to us? Are we reaching our, our kids, our sons and our daughters, our grandkids, those with us at work? I think those are one of the, the biggest things that Christians need to consider today. Not whether we're going, we, we've got that, we, we give to that. Our message is very clear about going to the nations. But are we clear about going in our homes and going to those who are in our workplaces? Okay. Again, we're very good as, as a church, and I mean the Capital C Church, about sending pro-missionaries and funding trips sending money to support seminaries and the like. And all of those things are necessary, and they're good, and they're essential, and they're awesome. I absolutely love, and we should continue to participate in those to the maximum of our capacity. But are we falling short on reaching the mission fields in our homes and in our workplaces? So unless we're sending local, not only to our state and in our country, not only are we going local, and not just to our greater state and to our country. Our task as God's people can be lopsided. We're not just a going people, we're a staying and reaching people as well. We're a planting and reaching people as well. We're a going, and we're also called to plant as well. How McDonald's and Coke became household names is they reproduced themselves first in their community. You don't have to go to the countries outside of the United States to get a Coke. How far do you have to go to get a Coke? Just down the street. They reached the local communities and they spreads nationally and then it went globally in that order. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want us to look at Matthew 28. It's a very familiar passage to us this morning. Very familiar passage where Jesus kind of emphasizes this exact point. Matthew chapter 28, we might know it as the Great Commission or the Great Commandment the very end of Matthew. This is after Jesus' resurrection, and he's given kind of the last encouragement, the last instructions to his disciples before he he goes to heaven, before his ascension. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. We're going to read those three verses and kind of mine some very practical uh, application from this. It says... um, in Matthew 28 where he writes under inspiration of the holy spirit Matthew 28:18 and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations that's including your own baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you now we can't send unless they are trained a reason we are failing to send, I think, even to our local, uh, our local states and our local cities, is because we don't have Christians who are trained properly and disciple. Okay, we're failing to train and give purpose. In my opinion, this is where the Christian church has its greatest need. Okay, we have a great need for evangelism. We have a great need for all of those things, but I think the greatest need for for those who are in Christ right now is for discipleship. It's the church's greatest need for those who are redeemed by Christ and believers who know what they believe, why they believe it, and putting it into practice in their lives. It's not a call to merely come to a church house once or twice a week and acknowledge doctrine. That's not discipleship. It's a call for people to their highest purpose in life, given to them by Christ Himself, to fulfill the purpose for which they were created for. And if I can modify the phrase, John Kennedy's, President Kennedy's famous phrase, it's a call against a consumerist style of faith to see church not as what it can do for you, but rather what you can do for the kingdom to make life truly more abundant, for the people that you have in your own home, in your own church, and then spreading that out to community and national levels. In other words, the greatest need within the church are discipled followers of Christ. When people are rightly discipled, especially over the course of their lives, and and this can happen in a very tight, narrow uh, span of life, especially if you come to, to Christ later as a as a teenager or as a young adult or even after that but i mean if you're if you're born and raised in the church okay this is something that happens throughout our entire lives and there's no excuse for us to be graduating students from high school at 18, undiscipled, especially if they have grown up, born and raised in the church. There's absolutely no reason for this. And it's not only the church's fault. That that falls squarely on families taking responsibility for the spiritual raising of their children. When people are rightly discipled, they will do things Christians believe. That's just how it is. If you're trained to be a good baseball player, you will be a good baseball player on the field. If you're trained well, when you're trained well and discipled well, you will act like a believer in the workplace. You will act like a believer, hopefully, at home. You will act like uh, at school, wherever you are. Okay? And when you become parents, you will raise kids in Christian homes and be a witness again at work. For example, let's consider McDonald's again. Okay? For you to be a manager at Mickey D's, okay? You have to go to a training program called, called McU, okay, McDonald's University. I just think that's hilarious, by the way, McDonald's University. You have to know the history of McDonald's. You have to know how to prepare everything perfectly at McDonald's, imagine that. All possible contingency scenarios, you, you have to basically be t- trained in the ways of Ronald. Okay? in order for you to have any type of managerial duty. Okay? So unless we are sending, uh, it's, it's, it's like a McDonald's manager who is saying, well, I don't know too much about McDonald's, but I really just love hamburgers, and, and that's just enough for me. Well, it's not enough. If you want to be a manager, if you want to replicate great food or, or decent food, okay? if you want to run the organization, Okay? You need to be able to know exactly what you're doing, know all contingency scenarios. In other words, you need to be trained. You need to be discipled. Okay? And this goes on into the church. Okay? If we want children who grow up to, be, to behave and think and process and have a Christian worldview, they have to be trained to have that. We just can't go, well, now you're 18, I hope you do a great job. This is something that you have to be trained for for 18 years. OK, because when, when, when you get into into the college system, do you, do you think they're going to uh, teach your kids? Absolutely, they are. Do you think they're going to have a very clear system about the values and ways they want you to behave as an adult in a college system? You better believe they will. And so unless we take this job seriously from birth at least to 18, at minimum to 18, then what we do is we just go hope for the best, send you into a college system, and then we we just kind of shake our heads and wonder, well, what happened? It's not just the two or three hours you get here, dads. It's our responsibility when we go home to disciple our kids, to be training our kids, moms and dads. This is our job. This is job number one for us. We can't be shocked that if we're not doing this, and then they graduate when they're eighteen. Well, I just don't know what happened. Well, it's it's pretty clear. Okay, you can't expect one or two hours of church to compensate or to throw the balance of the of the media barrage that happens uh, eight to ten hours a day in a in a young person's life when they're sucking on a screen. Right? I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. So. If, if, let's look at Acts 1. Let's look at Acts 1 real quick. Let's, let's go to Acts 1. Let's go to Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. Acts 1, 6 through 8. This is, this is in the same conversation that Jesus had in, in, in Matthew 28. It's just written in a different book. And this is Luke's account of it from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And Luke writes, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, So when they, meaning the disciples, that came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There wasn't an option there, right? It said, you will be my witnesses. Not there's a potential for you to be one, or you could be if you just think about it hard enough and put yourself and apply yourself. This was a command. He said, you will be my witnesses in a couple different places. It says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what does it mean to have a Jerusalem and a Judea in your life? Judea was kind of like our state's. Jerusalem's obviously our city of Shelbyville, but Judea is kind of like our state, like Tennessee. It's a unique place and a unique culture within your nation where you identify and have the greatest comfort. This is the, the opportunity we have to make the greatest impact is right here in, the own, in our own culture, in our own uh, city, in our own state which, with which we know the culture the best. It's the place the disciples called home. Judea is where you have your family. In what ways, you have to ask yourself if you're, if you're a Christian parent here this morning or one day want to become a Christian parent, in what ways am I sending my family? In what ways am I teaching them a Christian worldview? In which ways am I discipling my kids? And an even better question, if we're Christian parents in this room, just if we're honest, is am I sending myself to my family? That's a huge question for us. Am I sending myself as mom and dad and grandma, aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa? Are we sending ourselves to our families? So before we start thinking about reaching the world global for Jesus, which we need to be doing. But before we start there about reaching the world for Jesus, we need to think about whether we're reaching those across the hall. I mean, because we can go and say we want to reach the nations, but man, if, if if we don't have the boldness to go across the hall and talk to our kids about Jesus or or be honest about who we are in Christ, then then that that's a tragedy. To go to the go to go on state mission trips and and world mission trips and do all of these things and really give ourselves to other people, but when it comes to our own families, we just. Uh, This is our, that's your first, if you're a Christian parent here, this is your first place of responsibility, is with your kids. And I'm unapologetic about that. That is very clear from the Scripture. As parents, this is our first place of discipleship. It's our first place of discipleship once you become a parent, and it's our first place of evangelism. And it's a tragedy if we would not do that or not think that's such a big deal, but give our lives to other things. And I want us to take that responsibility seriously. So your first point of discipleship and evangelism is to your family. The second one is to those that you come in contact with at work. That's your your mission field. Your most primary uh, mission field is right there with those at work. Who are you sent to at your job? Because those at our job can often be a blessing to us, but they can also test our patience because we don't always agree with the people we work with. So we have an opportunity, you hear what I'm saying? An opportunity slash privilege that when they upset us, offend us, grate on us, we have the privilege and the opportunity of saying, I will respond not like the world, but like Jesus will. And is that hard? You better, better believe it is. It's absolutely hard, but this is what Jesus requires of us. This is a mission field. It's not a a cakewalk. When you go into your work every single day, your mission field is potentially extremely, extremely hard. And God bless you for that, because God has put you in that place, in His divine sovereignty, for a reason, friends. To be a witness to that person who is absolutely annoying, to that person who is absolutely a gossip, who is absolutely unethical. God has put you divinely in His sovereignty around that person to show the greatness and the mercy and the compassion and the love of Jesus to that person. Are you looking at your job as missional? And how are you sending yourself to them? Because you know each one of them are different. Are you tailoring your attitude when you go into them to to speak to them in a way that you know is contextual to their needs? Do you know their family, their life situation, what's going on in their world so that you can meet their needs as Jesus would want you to meet them? What does it mean to have a Samaria as a believer? The Samarians were the other country. They were kind of viewed as the enemy the other people, the uncomfortable places. Samaria was the place in Scripture that a lot of people just didn't want to go. This wasn't home, and they actually had stereotypes for people who were from Samaria. They had stereotypes and prejudices about Samarians. That's why Jesus shocked the people when He used them in a parable about the what Samarians. The good Samaritan. this was totally shocking to the people who heard this parable at first. To them, this would be an oxymoron. A good Samaritan, ah, that doesn't make any sense. You have to think about where is your Samaria? Who are the Samaritans in the traditional sense of thinking in your life that you need to be outreaching to? Where are you uncomfortable? Do you think God is sending you there? And why would he be sending you there? With whom are you uncomfortable with, maybe in your family or at work? And how are you seeking intentionally, prayerfully, to reach that person instead of, because we, we have an interesting response, can't we? When we get around that person that grades us, annoys us, or, or whatever, we have a very clear choice to make. We can either dismiss that person, write them off, or even worse, treat them with, with, uh, with cruelty and dismissiveness. Or we can, we can really choose the way of Jesus. And I don't mean that all cutesy. Okay, I really do mean it. That when that person treats us like trash, are you going to respond in kind or are you going to take a higher way? Or are you going to take the better way? Are you going to take a God-ordained way? This is very, very difficult. This isn't greeting card stuff. This is very practical. And God calls us, when you meet that person who is a quote, quote, Samaritan in your life, are you going to respond like the world, being a Christian, that's an oxymoron, or are you going to respond like Christ would have you respond? And what does it mean to have an ends of the earth as a believer? It's a place where you couldn't imagine going unless God has specifically called you there. For me, the ends of the earth would be somewhere very, very, very cold. (laughs) I don't want to go to Antarctica or Siberia to preach the gospel. I'll go, but (laughs) don't make me go. Um, You may be different, okay? Maybe the ends of the earth, for you, may be your own home. Maybe it may be having a conversation with your husband or your wife or a relative about the direction of your family, about the direction of your kid's life, how you want to live your life and and make your home more like a Christian home. Maybe it's to your parents or a coworker. If God is commanding you to go to that ends of the earth, congratulations, go there. It may be scary, but it's the best place you can be. Jesus is telling us not only to tell our house and our community, our nation, but the world. And to some people, this is different. Some people will go anywhere in the world to share Christ or go on a mission project, but they won't walk down the hallway again to pray with their own kids or their family. And then their family wonders why they're hypocrites. Could this be you? Could it be me? Could it be you this morning? Could it be me? This is a lot of practical thought, heart check we need to do this morning. I know this will sound silly, but I think it needs to be said. Is our passion for Christ to be known and glorified more evident and clear than a corporation's clown is for hamburgers? Does our passion for Christ dwarf those who sell dark, cold, caffeine-filled, carbonated sugar water. Is our zeal for Christ to be known going to be upstaged by that? Or we're just another large organization among many? Or is there something that really differentiates us from the other people who are trying to reach the world with their, quote, product? Here's the fantastic reality. Christ is more than a product. In fact, he's not one at all. He's our Savior. He's more than refreshing. He's our very life. And I think as our team comes to lead us in a song of response this morning, I want us to consider whether Jesus is really our master this morning because regardless of what Coke may say, it's Jesus who is the real thing. He is the classic. In the very best sense of the word, He is the bread of life and living water. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We may be a people who love to, t- may we be a people who love to tell of Jesus. May we be a people who feast on His word and send people to tell of His greatness. May we make Christ more appealing to people than sugar water and soggy fries. And let us be a people who seek to send and serve a world that desperately needs who we have, and say, I'm loving it as we go. Let's pray together.